just as I am. Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome back. In this episode, I'd like to consider how not all worship is equal. I'll take a moment to contrast worship under the law of Moses with the worship that's endorsed by Jesus, and then I'd like to spend some time thinking about what it means to worship in spirit and truth. I'll wrap up by contemplating how not all expressions of worship are equal in God's eyes. So let's talk for a couple of minutes about how worship under the Old Covenant was a little different than worship under the New Covenant. The writer of Hebrews brings this out in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. In verse 10, he explains that all of the procedures and accoutrements of the tabernacle were fleshly ordinances. In verse 11, he contrasts the tabernacle made with hands with the greater and more perfect tabernacle made without hands. This tabernacle was introduced by our high priest, Jesus. Verse 13 reveals that the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, that these sanctified for the purifying of the flesh, but these sacrifices could not cleanse the conscience, as he points out in verse 14. In all of these instances, the writer of Hebrews draws out the fundamental difference between the covenant formed by the mediation of Moses and the covenant we have with Christ. The old covenant was concerned with the material, the physical, the temporal, whereas what we have in Christ is oriented toward the spiritual and eternal. Or, to put it another way, the two covenants contrast the external and the internal. When Jesus died on the cross, he reoriented the worship of God from physical to spiritual. And as the writer of Hebrews emphasizes, what we have in Christ is better than what was known under the old law, because spirituality is greater than the material. When discussing worship matters with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus draws out this shift from the old to the new, making it clear that a superior form of worship lay ahead. In the days of Jesus, Jews throughout the world gathered in their local synagogue on the Sabbath day to worship God. But God dwelt in the temple built on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And contrary to what the Samaritans believed, Jerusalem at that time was the proper place for worship. Jesus anticipates a day when one's physical location will be irrelevant when it comes to worshiping God. It would become irrelevant because God sought those who would worship him in spirit and truth, John 4.24. This leads to an important conclusion. Worshiping God in spirit and truth is superior to other expressions of worship. In a moment, I'll talk about what it means to worship God in spirit. 
But first, let's answer the question, what does it mean to worship God in truth? Now, it's possible to worship God in ignorance. This was the case with the Samaritans. The Samaritans thought they knew God. They thought they knew his will, and consequently they believed they worshipped him in an acceptable way. Jesus says this was not the case. They were, in fact, ignorant of God in his ways, and so they worshipped what they did not know, John 4.22. Here is one way to worship God in truth. God seeks worshipers who want to know him and understand him as he is, not as who they want him to be. It's also possible to offer God vain worship. This was the case with the first century Jews. In Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The first century Jews lived under an elaborate system of man-made traditions that could not be found in the five books of Moses. And they held these traditions as equal with Scripture. Their obedience to the commandments of men impacted how God received their worship. Because to know God's will and to choose to do otherwise makes one's worship vain. So here is another way we worship in truth. We choose to worship God in the way he reveals which leads to another point. God places a high premium on obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God gave King Saul very specific instructions, and he expected Saul to obey. Saul did not obey God's commands and chose instead to offer sacrifices. He thought worshiping God would be a sufficient substitute. The prophet Samuel rebukes King Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord... He also has rejected you from being king. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. God prizes obedience above whatever substitutes we might come up with. So here is another meaning of worshiping in truth. We should not assume God will accept substitutes for obedience. Worshiping God in truth means we seek to understand him and his ways and that we worship him according to his will, not our own. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit? Well, the worship of God takes place wherever the spirit of God dwells. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church. The church is fitted together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It is being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. 
The church is the dwelling place of God's Spirit. Peter says the church is composed of living stones that are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, who offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. The church is God's dwelling place, his temple. And when the church gathers together, it offers up spiritual sacrifices. But the Holy Spirit also dwells in individual Christians. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Not only is the church a temple, but the bodies of individual Christians are a temple of the Holy Spirit. More specifically, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So worshiping in the Spirit means worshiping God from the heart. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, Paul contrasts the drunkenness common in paganism with being filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And when we lift up our voices in song, our worship flows from the heart. We sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. So spiritual worship comes from the heart, where the Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian. When the church is gathered together, we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Which brings me to my final point. From our earliest moments, God taught us that not all expressions of worship are equal. Speculation abounds as to why God rejected Cain's offering. Did God prefer animal sacrifices? Did Cain fail to give his best? Did he offer his sacrifice out of obligation rather than genuine thankfulness? One thing is sure. Abel's sacrifice was better because he offered it by faith. Cain's sacrifice is a warning. Man may worship God, but God does not promise to receive it. Why? Because not all expressions of worship are viewed equally by God. David observes in Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31, I will praise the name of God with the song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull, which has horns and hooves. The sacrifices of oxen and bulls were acceptable expressions of worship. God ordained these sacrifices for the remission of sins and to express thankfulness. And yet God found the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving better than the sacrifices offered on the altar of burnt offering. But why? Why did God prefer praise over animal sacrifices? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Try as we might, 
It is impossible to conceal what resides in our hearts. Sometimes we say precisely what we mean in spite of ourselves. But when my mind dwells on what is right and just and noble and good, from my heart will flow words of praise and blessing. From God's vantage point, no mode of communication expresses the contents of one's heart more perfectly than words. A heart filled with goodness will abound with praise and thanksgiving. And as David observed, this is a superior expression of worship. Can we give God anything greater? Of course, there are other options. Some of us find visual arts to be a satisfying way to communicate how we feel. Others express themselves through musical instruments. But remember, God chose to communicate with us through spoken or written words. Under Moses, he outlawed the use of visual arts except in the case of the tabernacle and temple. He also permitted musical instruments in those sacred spaces. However, when it came to his communication with us, he chose words, and he sent us the word manifest in Jesus Christ to be his ultimate communication with humanity. What does that tell us about how he wants us to communicate with him? Is it possible the greatest form of praise is expressed by our lips from our hearts? The writer of Hebrews encourages, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews 13, 15. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips. If I want to praise God, there is no better way to express my praise than through the spoken or written word. It is the spiritual sacrifice to which Peter refers in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And for that reason, Scripture frequently mentions singing and praying together because they are the fruit of our lips. In Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, Paul tells us to sing and make melody in our hearts, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. James asks, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Paul and Silas sat in a Philippian jail cell, praying and singing hymns to God, Acts 16.25. Singing and praying, the fruit of our lips, go hand in hand throughout Scripture. I would venture to say, there is nothing God loves more than to hear His people speak and sing words of praise and adoration from hearts abounding in goodness and gratitude. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, 
Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will. Oh,